Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Sometimes you just got to make a decision, right? Anytime you lead anything, anytime you want to see some change in your life, you got to like make a call and just go with it. And the hard part about just making a decision is you don't always have the facts. You don't always have all the information, and, and, it, and it can be hard to make the call when you don't have all that stuff. I, I, sometimes I want to wait as long as I can to make a decision until all of the obstacles are cleared out of my way, and then I will make the one last decision that is left to me. So it's almost like I made no decision at all, right? But the best stuff in life requires you to just make a decision, to make a call, whether you know it's going to work out okay or not. I think back to uh, December of 1996 when I, no, it was December of 97, December of 97 when I asked my wife to marry me. We were at a beach in uh, Clearwater, Florida, and um, I, you know, said, okay, will you marry me? And she said yes, and, 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 and all that. And that was, that was really great, and it was sweet. But honestly, it's, it's a bit of a risk, right? Like, you don't know how that's going to work out. Um, I, I, I didn't have it all figured out. I just knew I wanted to be with her, and I wanted, her to be, I wanted us to be together for the rest of our lives. But there's a lot of uncertainty there. I've never lived with a woman before. What if she drives me crazy? What if I drive her crazy? Like, we don't know. Like, what if she says no? I ask her to, to marry me, and she says no. Now, pro tip, guys, if you're going to ask someone to marry you, make sure you pretty much know the answer before you ask the question. Like, don't go into that sucker like 50-50 on that, okay? Like, pretty much know. And so I pretty much knew that she would say yes, but I didn't know how it was going to all work out and having children and all the things that would come down the road. I don't know, but you have to kind of commit 100% even though you don't have 100% certainty. And a lot of things, and a lot of the good things in life are like that. You don't know. But you got to make a call. You just make the decision to do it. Hey, I'm going to try this diet plan. Is it going to be good? I don't know, but i got to do it. I'm going to try fasting. Is that going to work? I don't know, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the gym. Oh, I hate the gym, but I'm just going to do it. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to join that book club. Oh, what if I hate the book? I don't know. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to join that wreck dodgeball team. I hate being hit by a ball, but that's fine. I'm just going to do it. Some of the stuff that's good and that's fun and that's right, um, some of that stuff, you just don't know how it's really going to work out until you make a decision, and then you just do it. You make that decision, and then in some ways, because you made that decision, that decision ends up making you. It, it, it forms you. Uh, there's so many things that are like that. Um, fitness, or food, or college. Like, you know, you're done with high school. It's like, do you want to go in the military? Do you want to go to a trade school? Do you want to go to college? If so, which one? How are you going to know? And, and, and then you have to make a decision, and, that you, and you hope that it all works out. Um, I think that a lot of the transformation of our lives and becoming who all of who God calls us to be, a lot of that happens in the decision process where we get tired of our current reality and we make a decision to move towards a new reality. And, and in that deciding, we make our decisions and our commitments and those decisions and commitments end up making us. They, they form us and they shape us. 
In this series, we've been talking about, going back to the beginning of the series, we, we've been talking about our identity in Christ, who we are, who God made us to be. And we said right there at the beginning of the series called Rhythms, we said, you are not who you say you are, you are not who, who others say you are, you are who God says you are. And that's a key idea, and, and, and I likened it to a melody that we hear, that there, there's this sound of God, the song of God, in, in a sense, that is playing in your life, and he's calling you to him, and that music is always there, but sort of the, the din and, and just the noise of culture drowns that noise out of God, and it can be very hard to hear God in the midst of all the mess of our lives and all the noise. And so the challenge has been, what are the rhythms that we can adopt? What are the practices, the disciplines of the Christian life that we can adopt, that people have adopted for thousands of years, what are the disciplines we can adopt that will help us hear that rhythm of God, help us hear that melody again, and align ourselves with Him? And so over the course of the last several weeks, we've talked about the different disciplines that we can practice that, that will align us with God, that uh, praying, fasting, uh, studying. Last week, Topher talked about confession and how valuable that is. These are things that Christians always have done in order to know God, and these are things that we need to pick up and, and to know God as well. But today I want to talk about one final key as we wrap up this series heading into Easter next week. I want to talk about one final key of, of, of the transformation process of, of, of hearing God, of following after him. Um, and, it, and this is going to be a, a key ingredient that goes underneath all of these disciplines, whether it's praying, fasting, studying, whatever it is. Uh, and it's the key ingredient of decision making and making choices. Now, I want to be very upfront about this. Um, at the end of this message, here in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to make a decision. I'm going to ask you to make one of several decisions. And I want to be very clear about that. I am going to draw a line in the sand for you and say, will you step over this line? And I want you to know that, because like, you'd be like, oh, here it comes. Yeah, it's It's coming. It is coming. There, I, I'm not going to like lock the door. It's, this, this won't be like the timeshare pitch. Um, but I am going to ask you to make a decision. And, and I do that unapologetically, because I know, and I've experienced, and, and, and truthfully, you've experienced this too, sometimes when you are forced into a decision and you are forced to make a choice, good things happen. Or when, when someone draws a line in the sand for you and you step over, good things can happen. And so I'm going to ask you to make a decision at the end of this message, and, and my prayer and, and hope leading into this morning has been that good things are going to happen out of the decision that you make today. So to talk about the decision, I want to go back to ancient Israel, and I want to talk, uh, tell you a little bit of a story about the Israelites, and uh, uh, kind of a, a moment when they were on the precipice, when they, when they had this like inflection point, this, 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 this moment that they had where they had to really like step up. This was the, the line in the sand, um, are we going to make a decision or not? Are we going to go through with this or not? They, they had several of these moments in the history of their people, uh, but I want to point you to one in the book of Joshua. And let me give you the backstory. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, uh, judging from different history that we have of the ancient Egyptians and archaeology and all that. We, we can put it roughly that the Israelites were enslaved there doing things like building the pyramids and stuff from about 1800-something B.C. to about 1446 B.C., somewhere in there, the Israelites were enslaved. And during that time, 
They cry out to God, he hears their cries and answers and delivers, uh, delivers the Israelite people with Moses and Aaron. Um, and then the exodus happens where they go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And these plagues happen on, uh, on Egypt. And the Israelites eventually leave, like a million people strong. They leave Egypt and they go wander in the desert for 40 years. At the end of that 40-year period of kind of the Arabian Peninsula, kind of wandering through there, they come to the promised land, the land that God had promised them, which is modern-day Israel. A, little, a small piece of land on the far, far eastern tip of the Mediterranean Sea, right there on the water. They come to this land. They cross over the Jordan River, which is sort of the eastern border of that land. And uh, they, they, they take possession of the land. Now, they, they battle with different groups that are there. Uh, there's, there's fights that go on, wars and battles. And uh, a lot of that is written about in the book of Joshua, of them taking the land. You may have heard of the Battle of Jericho. They march around. The walls crumble, that kind of stuff. There's battles like that that are going on. And they take possession of the land. Moses does not get to go into the promised land. He led the people out of Egypt. He served his purpose. And then he was succeeded by a guy named Joshua. And Joshua's the guy who leads the people into the promised land. Well, after he gets into the promised land, this modern-day Israel kind of space, that, that land, once he gets there and people spread out and they're, they're kind of setting up shop and kind of uh, living there and the vineyards and the, oil, the olive presses and all the things that they're, they're, they're kind of harvesting and cultivating the land and, and living in the cities, um, Joshua pulls everybody together at a place called Shechem. And he renews their covenant with God. He calls all the leaders together and says, hey, let's remember who, who, who we are and who God is in all of this. And they have this renewal kind of ceremony. I want to read it to you in Joshua chapter 24, starting with verse 1. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay, so here's what God says to the people. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. All right, so he starts by recounting their history to them. He's, he's, he's giving them hundreds and hundreds of years of Israelite history, going, going back a long time and saying, okay, here's, here's, here's what happens. Um, there, there's Abraham, and then they went to the land of Canaan, and then down to Egypt, and then there's Moses and Aaron, and I brought you out of Egypt, and then, and then here we are. God is saying, this is what I have done for you. Because there's a long history, and I've, I've mentioned this to you before, there's a long history, and really this is the history of nations. If you look at our own country, you can see this kind of pattern as well. But there's a long history here where there is um, prosperity, and things are good, and things kind of go, and, and people get kind of lazy with that, and then things go badly, and then they, and in, Israel's, in Israel's case, they cry out to God, God hears their cries, he delivers them, rescues them uh, in, in a powerful way, and they thank God, and they're so excited, and things get back to being good again, and then in their prosperity, uh, people start getting lazy with that, and it goes bad again, and there's the cycle goes over and over, and they're in one of those cycles now, and so they're recommitting to, back to God. 
And so Joshua is gathering the people together and saying, here's the deal. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna re-up again with God. And, and Joshua, in effect, draw, will draw a line in the sand for the people. and say. And, but he starts by saying, this is what God has done. In fact, listen to what he says to them. Continuing on, verse 12, God says to them, And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was, it, it was not by your sword or your bow, or by your bow. You didn't win those battles, God says. I gave you land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. In case there was any doubt, God says, Hey, you know how great it is where you are? Did you notice that you didn't plant those vineyards? Did you, you know the city that you like? Did you notice you didn't build it? This was all set beforehand for you. I set this up for you, and now I'm allowing you to live there. I drove out the enemies before you. I gave you the vineyards. I gave you the olive orchards. I gave you the land and, the, and the, you know, that beach house that you have, the view of the ocean there. I gave this to you. God, God tells them. And this is the first thing I want us to remember, and this is an important point. Number one, God holds up his end of the deal. God always holds up his end of the deal. And he starts here by giving them reminders of what he's done. Hey, let me just, let me just walk through the history with you. I've done things for you, and I, I have, I have, I have I've shown you uh, all these things, and I've, I've delivered things to you. I, I have taken care of you. This is what God does. He delivers. He is faithful. He's powerful. He's good. And what he asks of us is to, to be faithful to him, to follow him, to give our lives to him. But the idea that God holds up his end of the deal and that he's fa- a faithful deliverer, that, that idea shows up all over, all over Scripture. But the challenge for us is that it doesn't always feel like God shows up, right? It doesn't always feel like he delivers, especially if you're going through something really hard. When you're getting a divorce and you're in a custody battle over your children, it doesn't always feel like God delivers. When you go into work and they call you into the office and they say, there's been some slow down in the business and we can't afford you anymore, we're going to need to let you go. It doesn't feel like in that moment that God is like really in your corner, right? When you get a diagnosis from the doctor and they say, hey, this is, this is bad, are you sitting down? I need to tell you something. And, and they walk you through what you've got or what someone you love has. It doesn't feel in that moment like God is in your corner. You, you wonder, does God care? Is he even there? If he's there, is he, is he fair to me? Because this looks really bad. And, I, and, and, and if you're feeling that right now, if you're in this space where you're wondering if God's going to deliver because it's not going well, man, I get that. Like, I'm not there today, but I've been there. And I'll probably be there again because life has got enough of those. Life is Short, but in some ways it's long, and you come across a lot of those kind of things. There's a, a pastor and an author that I have probably quoted from this stage more than any other over the years, and it's uh, uh, Tim Keller. And Tim Keller uh, is a, was a pastor in New York City, and then he, um, 
he retired a, a few years back. And um, last February, I believe, right around the time COVID was sort of kicking off, um, he got a, a cancer diagnosis. He um, had cancer before and recovered and, and it had come back and this is a pan- pancreas cancer. And I don't know if you've looked up pancreatic cancer, but it's, it's, it has a very low survivability rate. So it's, it's, it's not, a good, a, a not a good scene for him. Um, and he's 70 years old. And I don't know if you saw this, but about three weeks ago in The Atlantic, he wrote an article about facing death and, and what he's thinking about that. And, I, and I, I found it to be fascinating because when you're a pastor, your job in part is to help people face death. Like your job is to walk people through that. And he has sat across the table or in a hospital room with many, many people over the years as they're facing their darkest hour. And now he's facing his. And I was really interested to see what he wrote because he talked about the struggle, the, 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 the moments of doubt, the, the frustration of, hey, you know, the physician has to take his own medicine in a sense. And, and I've walked people through this and can I, can I even live by my own words? Can I have the faith in God that he will deliver no matter what? In this, because he thought I have, he thought I would have many years left. And at the end of that story, I want to read to you how the article ends in the Atlantic. Listen to this. He says this: I can sincerely say, without any sen- sentimentality or exaggeration, that I've never been happier in my life, that I've never had more days filled with comfort. But it is equally true that I've never had so many days of grief. One of our dearest friends lost her husband to cancer six years ago. Even now, she says, she might seem fine, and then out of nowhere, some reminder or thought will sideswipe her and cripple her with sorrow. Yes, but I have come to be grateful for those sideswipes because they remind me to reorient myself to the convictions of my head and the processes of my heart. When I take time to remember how to deal with my fears and savor my joys, the consolations are stronger and sweeter than ever. These are the words of someone who, who is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And he's having to do the work of, I know I've said I believe this, but do I really believe it in my core? Am I, am I all in on this? Because in that moment, whether you're all in on it really matters. And it's a, it's a big deal. And he's able to land at this space of, yeah, I have more grief right now, but I also have more joy, and I can trust that, that God is good. It doesn't always feel that way. Our emotions will fib to us. It doesn't always feel that way. And you may not be there right now, but my hope and prayer in preparing this and thinking through this and praying about this, my hope and prayer has been that you can get there. That even if you're not feeling it right now, you can get there and get to a space of knowing here and here that God is good and that God actually does hold up his end of the deal no matter what. It's, it's maybe easy to get there when you're 15 and you haven't been through a whole lot of hardship. And if, if a 15-year-old says God is good all the time and you're like, great, but when you're 30, 
you're 40, you're 50, 60, 70, and you've been through some stuff, if you can go through the stuff and you can still sit there and go, God is good and faithful, and that's the good stuff. That's where I want to go. That's, that's how I want to be. And that's my hope and prayer for all of us. So number one is this. God holds up his end of the deal. He is faithful to us. And the second thing I want us to see in, in, in Joshua is this. God always presents us with a choice. There's always a decision there. Listen to what it says, Joshua 24, verse 14 to 15, right, at, right after that. Let me put it on the screen. Now, therefore, this is what Joshua says to them. This isn't God talking anymore. Joshua says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And, it, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love this. I love this. Joshua's a leader. And, and leaders go first, and they make those decisions. He says, look, this is what I'm, I'm going to do. I'm gonna, me and my family, we are going to serve God. You're going to need to decide for yourselves if you're in or not. He's drawing a line in the sand and saying, step over if you want to follow Jesus. Or stay there if you don't. Or if you want to follow God. Or stay there if you don't. He draws that line for them. And, and, he, and he presents it to them in terms that they, they would remember. Hey, um, your forefathers, people got off track. They decided not to serve God, and they served all these other gods. In Egypt, there was Isis and Osiris and, and the Amorites and the different people that you've been around. They have their gods. They have Baal, and they have others. And what happens is the Israelites turn away from God, and they start serving these other gods. Now, in their culture, that looks like Literally altars and statues and burning things and making sacrifices towards the gods, right? Like, there's a lot of that. But, and, and that's not our culture, and it's easy for us to be like, well, that was kind of weird. They are like turning to other gods, and they were like little, little idols and statues. But if Joshua was to say that to Americans today, it would sound a little different. He would, he would say, hey, um, you need to decide if you're in or not. Because you can follow your money. You can worship your children. You can worship your job. You can worship the neighborhood that you live in. You can worship your car. You can worship the kind of education you got. You can bow down to the eye of the pyramid on the back of the dollar bill if you want. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve Jesus. That's what, that's what Joshua would probably tell us today. Because you, you think you can do all of those other things and really live for those things, but you can't. Jesus said it in very stark terms. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, he didn't say it's very hard to do. He said it's not possible. Something's always going to draw your heart and affection. And so Joshua says to the people, hey, these things, it's, it's your choice. The choice is there for you. It, the decision is there to be made. Are you going to follow God? Are you in or are you not? Are you not? It's, it's, it's a powerful thing. Here's the deal. God always initiates, but he always gives us a choice. God's desire is that you will come to him, but he leaves you with the choice. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, written many years later, Peter says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient with us. That's good news. I'm glad he doesn't zap us the first time we mess up. Because we all of us will be gone a long time ago. He's patient with us. And he wants us to come to repentance. His desire is that we come and be in relationship with us. But he allows us to make the choice. He does not override our free will and say, I'm going to do this in spite of you. And why is that? Because God wants to be in a loving relationship with us. And love requires free will. Love requires the choice to not love. Love requires the opposite choice. I can love you or not. If someone is forced to love you, if someone has to love you, we all know that's not love. That's not the way it works. You understand that. And this is the way it is with God also. As our Heavenly Father, He puts it out there for us. He is faithful to us. He is drawing us towards Himself. But He does not force it upon us. That's one of the, for all the goofy things in that old movie, Bruce Almighty, uh, that when, when Jim Carrey is given all the power of God, he is told by God, appropriately represented as Morgan Freeman, that he's told the one thing you can't do, because, you know, you get the power of God. I can do anything. He goes, the one thing you can't do is make her love you. It's good, right? It becomes a, like a spoiler alert. That's like a central plot theme of the whole movie. But you can't make somebody love, because that's not, that's actually just not how love works. God gives us a choice. Now, sometimes God's going to heighten the tension and the drama, and he's going to force it, force our hand a little bit. Hey, step up. This is your moment. Draw a line in the sand, and that's okay. Sometimes he's going to do that for us, but he, he's going to allow us to make a choice. Are you in or are you out? You see Jesus doing this. Jesus um, would teach, and he would, he would heighten the drama for people, heighten the tension a little bit. He would, he, would, he would say things that would be comforting, and then people would get close to him, and then he would say, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and then a bunch of people were like, okay, now it got weird, I'm out, you know, and he would just like do things to like thin the crowd out a little bit, and then draw people to him, and there's this constant like give and take, push and pull thing with Jesus. But sometimes Jesus got very clear and very direct about who he was and what he was about. There was one time he was talking to his followers, and he was talking, and there's a guy named Thomas who speaks up, and Jesus is sitting there going, I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm, you know, basically talking about this future, paradise and heaven and these ideas, and he says, and, and you can come with me to paradise, basically. And Thomas uh, speaks up. Thomas gets a reputation in the scripture for being doubting Thomas. That's kind of the way we talk about him in the modern world. He's, oh, he's very skeptical. But anybody who's a little bit skeptical, which is all Americans, anyone's a little bit skeptical has got to be like, Thomas is your dude. I mean, you call him doubting Thomas. Can't we call him reasonable Thomas or empirical Thomas or like, Thomas is my dude, Thomas. Can we just like, like, that's our people, the people who don't believe everything they hear, like, if Thomas had Google, he would have been the first one to be like, oh, I'm looking that up. I don't think that's right. You know, like conspiracy Thomas, call him what you want. I don't know. But he, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to show you the way and, and to heaven and paradise and all this stuff. And Thomas goes, hey, um, Jesus, this is a very practical question. Uh, how, we, don't, we don't know the way. Like, how are we going to know the way? Like, what are you talking about? And Jesus says this, John, the... The writer John records this for us. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Now, I don't know how those words land on you, but in a modern, pluralist, religious context of slightly religious, secular America, it's very exclusive, don't you think? He's very much like, hey, I'm the way to God. There is a God. He's real. And I'm the door that you're going to go through if you're going to get to him. And in fact, there's no other way. Well, that sounds very not politically correct, very not inclusive, right? There's probably a training he should go through at VCU to not say stuff like that. Because he... But he's putting it in clear terms. And, and listen, he gets crucified for this. If you want to know, he didn't get crucified because the world's just such a bad place and we just like to kill good people. He was a really good person and you know what we did? Our world is so evil, we just kill all the good people. No, Mother Teresa didn't get murdered. We don't kill all the good people. He gets crucified because they understand what he's saying. He's, he claims to be God. He claims to be the exclusive connection to the Father. They kill him for that, not because he was nice, because he said good things. They're clearer than we are. We think he's nice. No, he's exclusive. He makes radical claims. And just like they had to wrestle with him and say, do I believe this? And am I going to step across the line in the sand? We need to wrestle with him too. He says, I'm the way. Not an option, not one way of many. He's not being gray about it. There is a God in heaven and I am the way to heaven. And he holds the key to their future. He holds the key to our future. There is an eternity at stake here and that eternity starts now when we enter his kingdom now. So Jesus says things like that, and he doesn't beg, he doesn't coerce, there's nothing like manipulation in what he says when he says it, he's not like, well, would you, come on, just work it out, like, I know you got some questions and some deliberations, you need to go think about it, no, it's, it's stark, this is who I am, this is what it's about, are you in, or are you out? The last 11 weeks from this stage, I have tried to articulate to you what, what I believe this church is about, really what I, what, where I, but also where I believe Christianity can sit in the modern world and how our faith can be real. And, and, and how do we live it out individually when we're praying or, or fasting or whatever? But then how do we live it out corporately? What are we, what are we committing to as a body? What, what is this community? What are we trying to do, whether you're online or in this room? What, what are we trying to accomplish in the world with the few years that we have? And to, to, to end all of that and to start this new season that will start with Easter next week, I want to draw a line in the sand and ask you to kick it up a notch. If you're here. Because, you know, COVID hit and one of the biggest things that, that every business organization, and I know because I talk to pastors a lot, every church felt this, this, this horrible feeling of, Who's with me? Are we in this together? I don't know anymore. I used to rely on being able to see people regularly, and then we couldn't, right? I don't know about you, but walking around when the weather's been nice at springtime now reminds me of last springtime, walking around when the weather was nice because it was the only thing open and free and available to do (laughs) was to walk outside, right? And here we are, and and, and I'm like, okay, who's, who's with us? 
And so I want to I give you an opportunity. I want to sort of draw a line in the sand here. You got a card when you came in. It says, I have decided. There's an online version of this. So if you're following along with this online, you go to area10church.com slash decide, and you can fill out that card there and see that there because I want you to have the opportunity to do that because you can make these decisions with us, and we can, we can work with you on these. But these cards have steps that you can take, and we intentionally wrote this that everyone in this room can fill out this card and make a decision. There's something in here for everybody, and everybody watching online, there's something here you can do. So my hope is that everybody turns this card in when we're done. There will be people in the lobby with buckets. You will sign this card, you will fill it out, and you'll turn it in. And then we will follow up with you based on the decision you made. And a lot of these you've heard over the last 11 weeks. Maybe you're not in on the Jesus thing or you haven't been, and this is your day. This is your decision day. You will say, March 28th of 2021 is the day I I stepped over the line and I decided to follow Jesus, and you accept Jesus as Lord. You check that, say, I want to do that. You want to get baptized. We can baptize you next Sunday on Easter or the following Sunday. Make a, make a commitment to be baptized, giving your life to Christ, having your sins washed away, receive God's Spirit. If you check that stuff, we will meet with you and talk, talk through with you. Maybe you want to become a partner of this church. You've been like, I've been a part of this church. I've never officially joined the church. Join us. Be, become a partner of this. We will send you information on that. We will meet with you. We will work through that with you, uh, we've, we've, got, we've got people who have said, I, I, I'm, I have uh, an ownership mentality about what we're doing here, and I'm part of this thing, and, and I want to challenge you to do that too. Maybe this is the time. Um, take a spiritual gifts assessment. Let's find out more about how God wired you up and where you can, where you can be- best plug in. You could take that as a step. We are going to start the book of 1 Corinthians next week for Easter, and we are going to be doing it in large part for the rest of the year. There'll be some breaks in there. But make the commitment to read through that book. If there ever was a book that speaks to the modern American church, it's that one. Because it was crazy in Corinth. And it's kind of crazy here too, right? So make the commitment. To, we'll, we'll give you a reading plan that we're going to follow along. We're going to read this together. Um, maybe your next step is to serve, join a serving team and, and serve here. Um, eight ten kids, greeter team, coffee, uh, in diff- the different ways that we serve as a community. Even if you're online and watching us online, we have some things that you can do there as well. Uh, maybe you want to lead a formation discipleship group or, or a small group. We're always starting new groups. We've got a bunch of formation groups going. We've got some small groups going. Maybe you want to lead one of those or be part of that. That would be a great next step. Maybe you want to give. Uh, we've talked about financial giving. Uh, our budget is extremely tight right now, um, and uh, the church relies on people to be generous. And so we have challenged you a couple weeks ago. We said, hey, can you, can you give? Can you give generously, intentionally, and sacrificially? If you haven't done that, um, it is the best antidote to greed that we know of, and it is great for not just a financial thing, but it's great for your heart. And so maybe that's the step for you. Say, I, I need to give. Um, we're going to do summer fun events. Maybe you want to become part of planning that and, and being part of that and making yourself known. Hey, I'm going to plan a hike to the, you know, Crabtree Falls or, or whatever. And then um, to reach outside the community to, to make disciples of all nations. We maybe join a formation group. Uh, a discipleship group that lasts for a year with you and just a couple people. Maybe make the commitment to talk to your neighbors, your friends about Jesus. Say, man, I need to talk to so-and-so about God. Maybe invite them to Easter or or something like that. Um, Make the commitment to serve with a community partner. We have a lot of of organizations that we work with. Or go on a mission trip. We've been doing work in Turkey. We're going to send a trip to Turkey, an exploratory trip in June, and then a larger trip in October. Maybe that would be a great fit for you to go see what God is doing in those places. And then we're going to hopefully re-engage Vietnam as well as things open up. 
So there are a lot of decisions you could make there, and this is a line in the sand. This is a chance for you to say, I'm going to do one of these things, um, and, and let's, let's do this uh, together. It can be a very powerful thing. Here's why we put that card in your hand today, or if you're watching online, this is why we put it out there for you. Um, because all of us have hopes and dreams. Like we want to become something. And um, the way we start becoming something is we decide. Um, we, we, we actually go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping forward. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to choose this day who I will serve. Um, it's, it's powerful when we say things out loud. Like if you have a hope and dream and a, and a plan and decision, all that, and you just make it in your head, I don't know about you, but I can go back on commitments I make in my head really easily. But when you say it out loud, it gets stronger. When you tell another person, it gets stronger. When you write it down, it gets stronger. There's, there's real value and power in that. And so we're asking you to say it out loud, to, to, to write it down, a, a commitment that you're willing to make, and it'll get stronger. We're asking you to choose this day whom you will serve. Don't wait for someday. We all got some days. We all got like a, well, someday I will eat better. Someday I will join that gym. Someday I'm going to read the Bible. Someday when I'm not so busy, I will do this. And someday, and you know this, someday just doesn't really ever show up. You don't want to be, you know, sitting in your deathbed talking about your someday's. Let's, let's realize those dreams. Let's do the things God's called us to with the time that we have. When we started this series, I said there was a, a melody of God that plays. And I said, we have to hear it and listen for it. Um, it's, it's always there. A noise will drown it out, but it's always there. But the point of that was not just so that we would hear it and go, oh, that's nice. God's with me. The point of that is that we would join in, that we would sing along, that we would be a part of the thing, engage it, and, 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 and rebroadcast it to the world. That happens when we make a decision and when we choose to engage. And so that's what I'm challenging all of us to do today. So let's, let's stand. We're going to sing together about God being our vision. We're going to sing an ancient hymn. We're going to take communion. If you have bread and juice in your hand, uh, if, if you have when you came in or if you can get something at home, the bread and juice represents the body and blood of Christ. We're going to thank him for his sacrifice as we sing. And then sometime after you've sung, um, maybe take that commitment card and, and, and write down the decision that you want to make. And then you can drop those out in the lobby on the way out. So let's pray. God, thank you for directing us for being an awesome God. And I pray, God, that we choose this day whom we will serve and that we will make decisions that are going to form and shape our character. God, that we will double down on being the people of God and not shy away from it because churches have blown it or because culture is saying one thing and the church is saying something else. Um, God, may we double down on being the people who you're calling us to be. God, I thank you for the example of Joshua and others who, who say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May that be said of all of us, and may we be able to say that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be the
Oh